their master. Jesus says, no, you must be vigilant. You must be ready. It's the same idea that, that he gives us there in the second parable. But now the, the imagery shifts from a servant and a master to just the master himself. And he says, you know, if you're an owner of a house and you know a robber is coming to rob your house, are you going to leave? Are you going to say, hey, here it is. Everybody come take what you want. No. No, you're going to stay there. and You're going to guard your property. You're going to guard your things. You know, we play a game at Mega Life often and at camp uh, called Capture the Flag. And some of you have probably played that game before. But there's two versions. There's the gym version. That's great. But then there's the outside version. That's the best. But anyway... The, the premise is you have this flag that you're guarding on your side. And you know the other team is going to try to come get it. And so before you get started, you say, all right, you and you, you stand right here by the flag. Don't move. Don't leave it. Don't go anywhere else. If anybody comes, you get them, right? Don't try to go get the flag on the other side. You stay right here. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you know somebody is coming to rob your house, you will stay right there. You will be ready. So that's the point that he makes there in verse 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man, and he is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So it's a call to readiness. Now, as we move to, to the third parable, as so often is the case, uh, though this seems fairly clear, the, the disciples, they need some help with interpretation, right? Uh, they, they ask the question, or at least Peter asked the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure what Peter's motivation is here. I'm not sure what the disciples are getting. I don't know if they're saying, hey, we're ready, so are you saying this for all these guys back here? Or if they're saying, hey, this is just for us, I'm not really sure. But notice that Jesus, he does not answer their question directly. He, he answers it with this parable that he gives next. Uh, and again, it's this idea of, of servants and this idea of masters. He says, who is the faithful and wise manager? Well, it's the one who, when the master comes back, he will find him doing exactly the job that he left him to do. In this case, it is feeding the, the people, the other servants, right? He leaves him that job. What about that, that unfaithful servant? What about the one who doesn't do what the master gives him? Well, he's going to receive a, a terrible punishment, right? He doesn't think the master is coming, and so he begins to drink and eat. He begins to beat the servants. The master comes back and says he cuts him in pieces, and he puts him out with the unfaithful. Now, if, the, if it ended there, uh, we might could just make this application back to where we begin. And it's certainly there. I mean, again, Jesus is saying, be ready. Uh, but I want you to notice there in verses 47 and 48 that, that he really does begin to answer Peter's question. Who exactly is this for? And there's two ways we need to take this. On the one hand, Jesus is saying that this is sort of a universal call, that, that all men need to be ready, right? He says there in verse 47, there are those who know much, and they know much, and they're going to be uh, held accountable for what they know. But then there's also those who don't know very much, but still, what, is, what happens to them for not doing what they're supposed to do? It's a lighter beating, but they still get a beating, right? And so the, the point that I'm trying to make to you, and the point that I think Jesus is making here, at least on the one hand, is that this call is for everybody present. This call is for all. Everyone, all of humanity, better be ready. 
It's the same call that, that uh, Paul gives in Romans chapter 1, right? Uh, as kind of echoing uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, he said, what can be known of God has been revealed to them. It's been revealed to them in creation. It's been revealed to them in their heart, the image of God in their heart. And so all men, therefore, are without excuse. Everyone, whether they are here in Uogni, whether they are in the Ukraine, or whether they are in the rainforest, all men should be ready for the Lord's return because what can be known about God, at least in a general sense, is there in creation. Now certainly, they don't have special revelation, but they have general revelation, okay? So it's a universal call. But then secondly, notice that, that it gets sort of particular. Uh, remember, he says that, that there is degrees of this judgment that's coming. Uh, that for those who know much, their beating will be far more severe than for those who don't know very much. Now that's, that's tough for us to interpret, but I think what Jesus is saying is speaking directly to the, the disciples. He's saying, Peter, yes, you have been entrusted with far more than the general population. You've been given the keys of the kingdom. You've been given all of this time with Jesus himself. You've been given God's word. And so, to some degree or another, you better be more prepared than anybody. In a similar way, friends, he's saying the same thing to pastors, to elders, to deacons. Men, you have been entrusted with much. The care of Christ's sheep. You've been entrusted to properly handle His Word before men. You've been entrusted with much. It's the same thing that He is saying to parents and to grandparents who have been entrusted with the care of little ones. He's saying the same thing to covenant children who have grown up in church and have heard the word preached over and over and over again. Friends, we could say in short, he is saying this to all of us in our modern world who have heard the truth about Jesus. Friends, when we stand before him one day, what excuse will we have? It's not going to be that we didn't have his word because, friends, every single one of us have it at our, in the palm of our hands, right? We have it everywhere, in our homes, everywhere we go, God's Word is with us. It's not going to be that we didn't have access to information, because you can get on the internet and find anything. All of the great theologians, all of the great thought of Christianity, ever, you can find it all. It's not going to be that you didn't hear great preaching. Now, that's not anything about me. My preaching may not be great, but friends, you can go find every preacher in the world right now. You can find any preaching you want, good, bad, or indifferent. It's not going to be that you didn't have access to the truth. What excuse will we have? Whether we know it or not, we are those people uh, in verse 48 who much has been entrusted to, much has been given to us, so one day, much will be demanded. Much will be required. So we see here a call to readiness. Secondly, in this passage, we also see a reason for readiness, or a reason why it's so important to be ready on that day. And you see it there in 49 through 53, particularly 49 and then 51 through 53. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth. Fire on the earth. 
and wood that it were already kindled. And then he goes on to say, of course, that he came not to bring peace, but to bring division. Came to divide. Now again, we said this earlier, but it's true. These are our difficult words. These are hard words for us in our modern context to digest. Nobody wants to hear this truth, that, that Jesus is coming. And on the one hand, certainly, he brings peace and reconciliation. He is the Prince of Peace. Friends, what's the flip side of that? What's the other side of it? He also comes to bring judgment. I think that the key to the whole thing is verse 50, right? He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Now clearly Jesus is not referring back to what happened with John the Baptist. He's not referring back to what happened at the Jordan River because he's looking ahead. So we can be confident here. Jesus is looking forward to the cross. He's looking forward to the wrath of God being poured out. The baptism that he will receive. Poured out upon him from the hand of the Father. And notice, he's anxious to do it. He's, he's ready to get to that point. Now we could stop and preach a whole sermon right there because that, he was ready for you and I. He knew exactly what was coming. He didn't want to have to do what he was going to have to do. We see that in the garden. But he was ready to do it because he loved you and I. There's a whole sermon right there, but we, we're going to pass over that for the moment. But after that judgment comes, after he bears the wrath of God on the cross, after he brings reconciliation to some again, what does he bring on the other hand? Division, right? The whole Old Testament had led up to this moment. We as New Testament people all look back to this moment. It is the hinge that history swings on. That moment on the cross is the moment, right? That, that is the, the whole fulcrum of history right there. For those who have faith, those who believe, it is peace. It is reconciliation. For those who, who don't believe, it is only division. Jesus is the, the dividing wall. Paul says the same thing in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Remember he says, our word is an aroma of life to some, it's an aroma of death to others. Isaiah had the same impact on his, the people of his day. God sent him out. He said, some are going to listen. Most are going to close their ears. And some did listen. Friends, the point is, is that when Jesus returns, what will he bring with him? Even now, it's begun. A refining fire, right? It's a fire that will refine those who are saved. But it's also a consuming fire. It's bringing judgment with him. When he returns, it will be final. A judgment that will consume the wicked. And so again, the, the question remains. Are you ready? Um, somebody asked Sam several weeks ago uh, if I ever preached sermons on hellfire and brimstone. And uh, his response was telling because he didn't know what that was. So that must mean that I don't do that. Um, but friends, whatever we think about that reality, we, we, we pick at it and we say, oh, it's, it's emotional and it's not appropriate and all of those things. And maybe it's not. But friends, this passage here before us, it, it is that. Now, it's not, I'm not going to yell at you and scream at you and, and do all of that. I'm not going to run down the aisle like I threatened to do earlier. But it, it is worth that. 
Because this is the destiny of your eternal soul that is on the line right now. And the reality is Jesus can't be any more clear than he is being in this passage. There is judgment coming. So will you look to him? We see a reason for readiness. Thirdly, in this passage, we see a view of readiness. And you see it there in verses 54 through 56. Uh, here, Jesus, he, he confronts these uh, folks that are hearing him with their inability to see what is religiously right in front of them. Uh, but he does it first by, by pointing to what they can see, what they can interpret. And it's the weather, right? They're, they're good interpreters of the weather, which should not be surprising to us. These are people who were dependent uh, on crops. They were dependent as farmers on what the weather would do. And so they would look out, and they would see coming over the Mediterranean Sea, these, these great clouds, and they would know that when they came, that meant rain was coming. They would prepare for the shower that was to come. On the other hand, from the south, the wind would blow. Hot wind, desert wind. And they knew that they should get ready for a heat wave. They, they, they knew how to interpret the things that were truly important to them, right? The, the things that they needed to know. But Jesus is saying that they, they've missed the most important thing. Remember, these are Jews, Jews who supposedly had been looking for Jesus to come for some 2,000 years. They'd been waiting on the Savior. They'd been waiting on the Messiah. And now here he stands right before them and they miss it. They can't see it. They miss the, the, the point that Luke has made over and over again with his miracles. The point that Luke has made with the, the prophecies that he has given. That, remember when he unrolls that scroll of Isaiah and he says, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is making the point. All that you've been looking for is right here, and yet they've missed it. And so we need to ask the question, what is the sign? This is sort of a rabbit trail, but it's worth it because a lot of, a lot of people take this passage today to mean that we need to be looking out at the world and we need to be looking for, for different signs and wonders that are telling us that the end is near, that it's on us. And look, to be sure, the Bible says to us that, that in the last days there'll be wars and, and rumors of wars. That there'll be famine. There'll be all of these various things that, that we will see. The question is, when are the last days? You know, if you read through your New Testament, you're going to notice that, that Peter and Paul and all of those apostles, they, they write as if they are in the last days then. So the question becomes, did they just miss it? Did they get it wrong? Did they misinterpret when Jesus was coming back? Well, friends, the answer is no. The, 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 that moniker, last days, is not a quantity of days. It's a quality of days. Since Jesus' ascension and until his next coming, we are in the last days. Right now, we are in them. Until whenever that ends, we're in them. And so, yes, we can look for those signs to be sure of that, but what's the sign particularly that we need to be looking for? What's the sign that Jesus is pointing them to here? It's not weather. It's not wars. It's himself. He's saying, I am here. Don't miss me. That's, that's where we need to be looking. Not, not to what's going on in the world and saying, well, Jesus is going to come back on this day. Friends, the Bible's clear. If anybody tells you that, they're wrong. Jesus said, I, I don't know when that day is. In his human nature, he didn't know. And so if, if they're making predictions that are definite, that, they don't, that they're not right. The Bible's clear. 
And so the sign that we all need to be looking for is what Jesus has accomplished for us. We need to be looking back to his finished work. We need to be looking back to what the Bible says about him over and over and over again. Friends, this, what we hold in our hands, is the only sure revelation of God you have. Okay? And so if this doesn't say it, then it's not true. Well, it may be true. But if, this is, if it doesn't say it here, then we have no reason to trust it completely. We look to Jesus. We look to his word. And so we have a view to readiness. Look, look for the signs. And the sign is Jesus and all he has done. That's, that's the whole point that Luke has, been, has given us in this book. Over and over and over again, he's tried to show us who Jesus is. And so we have it here in our hands. Now, fourthly and finally, we see a plan for readiness. We've seen a call to readiness, a reason for readiness, a view to readiness. And finally, Christ shows us here how to be ready. And this is the most important part, right? We can talk about all of these things. We know we need to be ready. But at the end of the day, we need to know how exactly it is that we can be ready. Now, to be sure, uh, there, there's going to be much in the way of specifics that can go along with what I'm about to say. Uh, our lives are going to manifest themselves in readiness in a lot of different ways. Friends, just simply, what I want to get at today is the foundation. What I want to get at is, is the fact that if what I'm about to say is not there, if we are not dependent wholly on this, then the rest of it doesn't matter, right? This is how we are ready. And you see it there in verses 57 through 59. Again, one last little parable. Uh, and on the one hand, if we read this through, we would say, well, this is some pretty good practical advice, you know. Uh, Jesus says, if you have an accuser, settle with him before you get to the judge, because the judge may require everything of you. He may throw you in prison, and then you're going to have to repay it all, and while you're in prison, you'll never be able to repay it all. So you'll be in prison all the days of your life. Again, if you find yourself in a situation like this, it's a sound advice. It's good advice for you. But obviously, given the, the context that we have, it's safe to say that, that this is more than just a good worldly example to us. More than just good practical advice. Spiritually, friends, we too have a debt. We have a debt that like this man, we cannot possibly hope to pay ourselves. And the reality is, is every single one of us, hear me now, every single one of us have a date with the judge. It's coming. And so the, the point that Jesus is making is we need to, to be prepared for that day. We need to settle. But the issue, of course, is that we are so lost, we can't even begin to settle the situation ourselves. You know, face with Jesus, if it was up to us, we would still turn the other way. We still would not be able to settle what we have. And so what do we do? Friends, the, the hope of the gospel is that the one who had every right to accuse, the one who has every right to judge, and one day will come and judge the living and the dead in an act of sheer grace, he set those rights aside, those rights that he had as judge and king. He set them aside. Just as we saw a few weeks ago, he subjected himself to the will of the Father. He received that baptism in verse 50. 
He became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And he did so so that we might be redeemed. So that we might be reconciled to him. He stands as our substitute and does what we could never hope to do ourselves. He takes the wrath of God poured out. The wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and me. That was the baptism we deserved. But he took that baptism so that now, as we look to him by faith, as we rest in him, we can be ready. This this is it. There is no other way to say, I'm ready for Christ's return. If you're looking to anything else, if you're resting in anything else, you're not ready. We look to the finished work of Christ. And friends, we can say with confidence, we look to the one who died even for the worst of sinners. We can say we're ready. And look, I skipped over it. And I shouldn't have done it, but I did. In that very first parable, did you notice what happens when the the master returns and he finds the servants who have faithfully served? Flip back over there and look. The whole thing gets flipped on its head. The the servants are there and they're ready and they greet their master. And what does it say? He says that master in that moment, he's going to turn the tables. He's going to sit those servants at the table. And he's going to come and he's going to begin to serve them. That's what a joy that is. You know, when we we gather around the Lord's table for, for communion, we're getting a taste of that already. Then when we turn to the book of Revelation and you see that great wedding feast of the Lamb and He is there. He is serving us. That's the reality for all of us who are resting in Christ. It's by His sheer grace that He does it. And, And I can't explain it to you. I can stand here and rejoice alongside you that He does it. That He's promised that that's the case. And that's exactly what He's done. In His mercy, not only has He saved us, but one day He will exalt over us. One day He will come and He will serve us. So again, friends, as we try to bring this to a close, let me ask you, I can keep going and I can talk all at the same time. How about that? If you turn on your bulletin, you see there, Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will well on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let me end with this, the question that we began with. With that truth in mind, knowing that that it is a reality, are you ready? Are you ready for His return? As we pray together. Father, we pray that You would make us a people who is ready. Lord, we, we try to do that in so many different ways. Uh, we try to make ourselves ready. We try to clean ourselves up. We try to do all these various things. And the reality is, is the only way we can be ready is to rest in what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so we pray that, that you would hold him before our eyes, uh, that we would learn to trust in him more and more. Uh, and Lord, we look forward to that day uh, where he will return, uh, where he will make all things new, where he even in His grace and His mercy, will serve us. What a thought. What a, what a privilege that we do not deserve. Yet He has promised to freely give it to us. And so again, 
Uh, Lord, Lord, come soon. Come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service now, let us sing together hymn number 327. And we can confirm together that one day he is coming. Let's rejoice in that fact together. Please stand as you're able and let's encourage one another as we sing. <laughs>